0: Good morning. Welcome back. What a, a powerful and a wonderful time together in, uh, in God's presence over these prior minutes. And I, I think Calvin just said it so perfectly. And he, he said it, um, I don't know if he said it first to me, but the first time he said that to me, uh, I was racing this week from one flight to the next while I was away on work. And I received this text from Calvin and, and among other things um, he sends me this text and it says, I'm pretty sure, something along these lines, I won't read it exactly uh, because we also horsed around in text. Uh, 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 I'm pretty sure we're going to get to heaven, Stu. And we're not going to say to God, yep, I worshiped you on earth the perfect amount. I gave you everything. uh, And I fired uh, back uh, to him. Amen and hallelujah. I I love that. Uh, I also, as you've heard me say before, I'm also convinced you and I will not arrive the other side of eternity, whatever that looks like, and meet God and say, yep, that's exactly as I expected you to be. I had you perfectly figured out. What a relief. No surprises here. It's just not going to work that way. And so I want to invite you in over the course of the next... uh, 33 and a half minutes that I have remaining uh, to expand our mind a little bit and to challenge a little bit what we think we're convinced about God with and to maybe uh, be stretched just a little bit. Um, Have you ever asked a friend the question, uh, tell me the story behind your child's name? And sometimes, you know, the story is, well, I just really like the name, or I just really like the spelling, or, or for some of you, uh, maybe it, it's an alliteration, I was um, horribly cursed. Mom and dad, if you're listening, I have a speech impediment and a lisp. I don't do my S's. And so my parents named me Stuart Streeter, like as if they knew it was coming for me and thought, we're going to remind him for all of eternity. And they named all three of us kids with S's, Scott Stewart and Stacy. And then they gave me the name Stewart, which is like the worst name in the history because every Stewart you've ever seen in a movie or on TV is a total idiot, right? Uh, it's a burden to carry. Uh, I don't know what uh, those names all mean to you, but uh, for those of you who know Jen and I very well, you know that when she was pregnant, Uh, For the first time, we were told by doctors uh, while on a missions trip that she had miscarried and that the child inside her was no longer alive. And when we came back, they did a sonogram and said, Yes, the baby's there, but there's no heartbeat, you've lost the child. And they sent us across the street to the hospital to have the fetus removed. And when we arrived, it happened to be a Catholic (laughs) hospital, and so their unique Uh, policy there was they insist on doing their own sonogram. They don't trust the doctor's sonogram. They do their own before they remove the fetus. And the tech there said, I don't know what your doctor's talking about. This baby's fine. The heartbeat's perfect. And our doctor, who we had known for a long time, it's another backstory, literally ran across the parking lot himself because he's an atheist and could not believe what had happened and came over and and looked at us and said, your God has done a miracle this day. And so Jen and I, early it was early in a pregnancy. Jen and I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl yet. And She looked at me and said, well, I guess we have to name him Isaac. And I said, baby, we don't even know if it's a boy or a girl. She said, well, it's going to be pretty awkward if it's a girl. <laughs> it better be a boy. And here he is, 19 years old, just about our boy Isaac. Names mean something. They, they sometimes are just a name that we love, but it connects us to something sentimental or or maybe like in your case, is similar to in our case with one of our children, that it has a deep meaning for us. And when we say that name, we are reminded of this God and the promise that I am the God of miracles, that I can write all things, that I am doing a new thing. God's names as well tell a story. And so... As his names appear all throughout Scripture, a number of different names for God. They describe humanity's experience with this ethereal God that we have a difficult time seeing, hearing, and touching. They tell of how people over the course of human history have experienced him, both his love and his movement, his intimacy, his grace. The names of God I am finding in his names that they confront in me my lacking trust. When I am faced with the name of God and what that name translates to mean, and I have to stare down the reality of that, I'm faced with my lack of trust. I'm also faced often with my own fickle faithfulness to him. My wavering belief in him to act on our behalf as a people. I'm faced with the flimsy theology that I've built my life around so often. We continue this week exploring these names of God and what they mean for us, not simply for academic ascent so that we can connect a name, but so that we can lean into how who God is is connected to his name and how that changes the way we live. If you've got a Bible, turn it on if you brought one with printed pages, open it up. If you're using uh, the app, I love version. It's a great app. And if you click in your version app on the bottom right-hand corner in that little hamburger menu and click events, you'll see our event for today. And there's a whole bunch of content we embedded into the app today that will help you down the rabbit trail that I hope uh, God will lead you to as a result of what we look at today in scripture. Bow your head with me if you would, and we just continue in prayer as we dive into Scripture in Psalm 46 today. God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you indeed deserve the highest praise. You deserve it all. And hidden in the mysteries and the unity of Father, Son, and Spirit, is the most high God, high and exalted, lifted up, other than us as humanity. May we encounter who you are this day, and may it change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 46, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read these 11 verses to begin God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam and let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. For from the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. But God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Verse 8, come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon this world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and he snaps the spear and he burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. It's got this rhythmic beauty to the poetic writings of who God is and what He promises to be in our lives. And in our declaration, of what God means to us. Whether you declare that in your prayers or you declare that in the way you're living or in your worship or, or in the ways you think about God, what you declare about your experience with God is as a result of encountering Him or at least in understanding things about Him. But there is also a reflection of who God is independent of what we think about him there is a reflection of who God is independent of how we have experienced him like my kids were not alive when Jen and I were in college but them not being alive does not make the experiences Jen and I had in college not real Right? Just because they didn't experience them with us, we now tell our kids, oh yeah, when we were in college, here's what happened. Dad got better grades than mom, like once. But it happened. And they're like, that can't be. We know mom, and we know you that can't. And I'm like, no, really, it happened. They're like, we cannot, there's no place in our brain to make that work. I'm like, well, mom took real classes, and I took resort management, and that's real news, friends but the reality remains. So so this reality that God is who God is and he has a character of his own that is authentically real and true and beautiful, whether you and I choose to tap into that or not. It's not all that much different than... Uh, solving for X in an algebraic equation. There are certain things that just must happen on either side of that equal sign to solve for X. There's also an order of operations that we must follow in order to solve for X in any algebraic equation. And so to the order of things of God, there is a hidden, and it's obviously hidden in the mystery of the Trinitarian nature of God, but There is a created order that means God is up to something. He is moving. He is working in the world, whether you and I choose to tap into that or not. But that also means that in order for you and I to experience some of what God is up to, we will have to do something on our side of the equation just sitting and waiting and saying, well, God, I'd really like to experience that aspect of you. He's going, oh, yes, I'm working in that realm. I would love for you to experience that. And we're like, okay, cool. So we'd like to experience that. And he's like, yeah, great. Well, here's how to experience that. Well, I don't don't really wanna do that. (laughs) I just want you to kind of like drop it on me. If you haven't already caught on, I am embarrassingly terrible at mathematics. It's not my thing. I never took geometry trigonometry, algebra, or calculus. I failed accounting in high school. And this was like the old school accounting where you balance your checkbook. But one one thing that I know about mathematics having been terrible at them is that mathematics are built on foundations. And the fact that I never took geometry meant I could never take chemistry because you had to understand some things about geometry to take chemistry. In order to take trigonometry, you had to take something else before that. I didn't get to do that. There are foundations in the world that life is built upon. Concert pianists start with scales. Pro Bowl wide receivers start by throwing catch. And it brings us back to a theological concept from our last series becoming a people who bring this concept that there are some doors inside the mansion of God, which represents our experience with him. There are some doors that we must enter through and maybe walk up a long staircase in order to experience other rooms. We don't just get to subvert the process to experience that room out there. So we say to God, God, I want to experience your goodness. And God says, I want for you to experience my goodness. Here's the process to experience my goodness. You got to go through this door and then you're going to walk up these steps and then you're going to arrive at the door of my goodness and you're going to enjoy that room. And so often we as a community have said to God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk through that door. I've got this shopping cart with me and I can't get it up the steps. So I just want you to drop your goodness on me. And he's going, well, my goodness is there. There's a pathway. There's a a leading to some of these experiences with God. So we read this line in verse two of chapter 46 that shakes me or, or this line, this second line in verse one. God is our refuge and our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. And I imagine whether you feel a million miles from God or you're even questioning, does he exist? Or whether you're near him, I I would imagine we would all probably feel on some polarity or some continuum, I want that. My God is my refuge and my strength and he is always present to help me in my times of trouble. We want that. But he must first, before he can be our ever-present help in time of trouble, we must on our side of the equation address he is my refuge and my strength. He is my refuge and he is my strength comes before ever-present help in time of trouble. It's not a transaction. It's not an exchange. It's not like God is saying, if you do for me, I'll do for you. There's no quid pro quo going on here. There is simply an understanding that in order to experience God's ever-present help in trouble, you must first lay down everything else that you have made your refuge and everything else that you have made your strength. Those scaffoldings of your life that are artificial must fall away and you must arrive in the presence of God saying, you're it, God. I need your ever-present help in this time of trouble and you're it. I got no other refuge. There's there's no other strength in me but you. We must attend to our side of the equation to experience and understand God's side. I believe that our confidence and our trust in the most high God pivots on this concept right here. I believe that in order for you and I to to go beyond simply intellectual assent that, oh yeah, God is the most high God. He is out there and he is in control and he is completely sovereign and he, he has this universe in the palm of his hand and he can move it at will when he wants. In order for all of that to move from some sort of intellectual, logical progression and actually seep into our soul's as a trust, we have to first take these earlier steps. So when we make God our refuge and strength, we will experience his ever-present help in time of trouble. When we make him our refuge and our strength, we will then experience his ever-present help in times of trouble. It doesn't mean that his ever-present, I mean, ever-present kind of, means ever-present, right? So his help in time of trouble is ever-present, but in order to enter into that, we must make him our refuge and our strength. You see, the most high God is in our midst and in all of his glory. He's reaching down He's reaching into our souls. He's reaching out around us to bring you and I into his atmosphere, to get you and I to experience his economy of the universe. He is in the reclamation business and your soul and my soul hang in the balance. This is not a a small thing. The reality is you and I, have gone to incredible lengths to block the redeeming movement of the most high God. I can't speak specifically for you. I can speak for me though. And I can tell you that in my life, it's motivated largely out of fear. I'm fearful that God's moving might upset my carefully crafted world. I've created and I've managed this world for my own personal survival and happiness. And I've crossed all the T's and dotted the I's and I spend a lot of time and to this extent you have as well. We have spent a lot of time as people to carefully manage our own world and to keep it operating within the bounds of what we say is happy. We often call this self-care. We call this Well, we call it a number of different things, and none of it is bad or evil in and of itself, but we must actually honestly admit that we have created our world in such a way that it brings us the kinds of happiness we think it ought. The problem is, of course, and the honest truth, and for some, it doesn't actually come out to the third glass of wine or a three-week vacation or uh, a raging moment where you finally explode or, or whatever it might be where you actually lose control and you are able to admit either in word or deed that this carefully crafted world you've made for your happiness is not actually delivering the goods. Yay. Happy talks, dude. Let's take an offering. It's just not delivery. It just isn't. For some, you're drinking more wine or whiskey than you ever have before and you're sadder and sadder all the time. For others, you have gotten every promotion you've been in line for and every pay bump and you're still not satisfied professionally. For others, you've done all the marriage retreats and read all the books and tried all the stuff married people try and your marriage is still unfulfilling. But the most high God stands at the threshold of our life, of our work, and of our play, and he says, let me at it. I can make that new. This is what I do. Psalm 78 says, they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. They remembered God was their rock. The most high God was their redeemer. And so God says to you and I, I am doing a new thing. He says, nothing can separate me and you and my love. Nothing can separate you from my love. The most high God says, I am your rock and your redeemer. So look again at Psalm 46 and verses 1 through 9, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come or mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam, let the mountains tremble and the water surge, as if to say, let everything I understand to be right about the world completely turn on its head and it will not move me because the Lord is my refuge and he is my strength and he is my ever present help in time of trouble. You you can switch out these words. This is a psalmist pouring out heart. Let my career go to the toilet. Let my house sell for 50 grand less than I hope. Let my retirement account be terrible. Let my kids be monsters. Let my marriage, none of that will move me because the Lord is my refuge and my strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. This is a big shift, right? This is different. This is really different. I had a phone call with somebody this week whom I love dearly and who I know loves Jesus dearly and who has struggled greatly in their life with God for a long, long time and called me up to say, I'm doing really, really well. Something just switched in me. And I said, wow, okay, that's abnormal. It usually doesn't just like switch. Usually like we commit to something. And so tell me what happened. And the person said, well, I, I got a new job. And I just felt my heart sink, thud. You, what? <laughs> you got? I mean, that's great. I'm so glad you got a new job. But what's, what's going on? Well, I, everything's going to be better now because I got a new job. You, you feel this, right? You feel the tension in that. and you, I don't know if you feel it like I do, but I just felt like reaching through the phone and giving a hug and going, oh, you poor thing. That job's going to suck just like the last job. That's why they call them jobs. <laughs> right? Like, I'm glad if you love your work. I love my work too, but it's like, Jobs stink sometimes. That's why the goal is someday to not have one. (laughs) So it's not your doubts that are keeping you from experiencing the most high God more intimately and powerfully. It's not your doubts. In fact, your doubts are probably the greatest gift your soul has right now because they actually keep you connected to God. It's not the doubts that are blocking you. I'm convinced our certainty is what's blocking us most often from experiencing God in all of his glory that everything in our life could come unraveled at the seams and our response to everything unraveling would be, the Lord is my refuge, he is my strength, he's my ever-present help in time of trouble. Unshakable. You can't shake it. It's our certainty around things that is causing it to unravel. We are certain that we've seen all the rooms in the giant mansion of God. Do you know how many mission trips I've been on, Stu? I've seen all the rooms. We're certain. We're certain that we already know what the Bible verse means. I've read that a thousand times and we arrive at it, we go, oh, I already know what this one means. We're certain. We're certain that we've prayed all the prayers. We're certain that we're right about others' motives. We're certain. We're certain. We're certain. This is the block, I think. Our certainty is blocking us more often than not. And, and none of this is speaking truth about who God is, the most high God. As if that maybe our first step is to say, God, you are the most high God. There's way more about you I don't know than I do. And that, that might be the most honest thing we can say about God. God, you're the most high God and I don't get it. You're a total conundrum to me. You're a complete mystery. And the other side of the equation in that, of course, is that none of this is honestly engaging with our own unwillingness to make God our refuge and our strength. Curiosity will suspend our certainty. If even for a moment if even only temporarily curiosity will become your and my and our greatest gift to experience new things from god in order to explore what we may have missed about god when we got certain about him curiosity is the door by which we enter and we see a long staircase way way up to a room where we believe in that room lives God as our refuge and our strength. Curiosity will be the door that sends us up that staircase. That at the top of the staircase lives this almost utopia where God is our refuge and our strength. Continue on with me and look now in verse 10 and 11. These verses that uh, maybe are familiar to you. One of the early churches I ever worked at in my early 20s had a really kind of old school wooden backdrop and and behind the backdrop was an old baptismal. Some of you grew up in churches and and remember, you know, these sort of images or have seen the pictures in a movie and there was this baptismal and behind the baptismal read these uh, letters that were nailed to the wall out of wood that said, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. He is here among us and the God of Israel is our fortress. We want to arrive at a place in life where the most high God, is our refuge and our strength. And if we can even imagine for a brief moment a vision for our own life where we are experiencing God's ever-present help in times of trouble. If we were even to close our eyes for a moment and envision even through the, the various stop points you will experience in the week ahead. And imagine what it would be like to live in a sort of vision for your life where at every stop point in your week, encountering the ex, having to drop off the kids, having to deal with a crummy boss, having to have an argument with your spouse or a loved one, having to deal with the obstinate child, whatever these things might be, that in every moment of that, you would experience God's ever-present help in that trouble. Oh God, I sense your presence here and you're helping this. Wow, I see you shifting my spouse's attitude. I see you shifting my child. Oh God, that is so helpful. Thank you. If we were to close our eyes and imagine a vision for our life that looks like that, As if we can see that room at the top of those stairs in our mind's eye. And we have suspended, even just temporarily, our own certainty long enough that our curiosity overcomes what we're sure we know about God. And we begin to make our way up the long, steep flight of stairs that leads to the room where God is our refuge and our strength. We will enter through the doorway of curiosity. And it begs the question, this long and steep flight of stairs, that sounds like work. It is. (laughs) It's work. You see, the, the gospel of the kingdom is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And we have too often linked those two things together. But somehow, if if effort is connected, that means I have to earn God's love. We don't have to earn God's love or earn God's approval, but there is effort involved to arrive at a place where God is our refuge. And and here's the incredible news from the text in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And the reality underneath that is that the work to be done in us is stillness. That's the work. The work is stillness. The flight of stairs that is long and steep and that hurts our bad knees and makes us huff and puff and causes us to sweat and even makes us angry when they creak and they all of that is stillness that's the work with God the psalmist writes you are my refuge and my strength no matter what happens I will put my trust in you and the response back to God is great be still and know that I'm God chill Be still and know that I'm God. I have to believe that to ascend this long flight of stairs will mean knocking out all of the scaffolding and all of the props that we have used to manage our own carefully crafted world. All of the comfort, all of the friendships that make us happy when we're sad, all of the things that we consume to dull the pain or forget about this or that, and our hunger to experience God as our refuge and strength in new depths will lead us through curiosity and a staircase where the effort is simply learning to be present with God, to be still, likely for longer spans of time than any of us are comfortable with. You have that person in your life that gives you a longer hug than is comfortable This is what this stillness, this silence and solitude will feel like, not just spiritually or emotionally, but physically, it will be as uncomfortable as anything you could imagine. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Way of the Heart, writes of solitude and silence and the, the stairwell, this stillness experience, he writes of it and says these words, solitude is not a private therapeutic place Rather, it's a place of conversion. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. In solitude, I get rid of all of my scaffolding. There's no friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain me, no books to distract me, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken. Nothingness, and it's in this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude a nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run back to my friends my work, my distractions so I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe I am worth something but that's not even all he goes on to write As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly face. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies, and I dream lustful dreams in which I'm wealthy, influential, and very attractive or poor, ugly, and in need of immediate consolation. Thus I try again to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all of its vanity. You see, the wisdom of the desert is that the confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ to say with more than intellectual assent the Lord is my refuge and my strength and that the most high God knows all of that in me and has come to meet with me his ever present help in time of trouble I want to invite the band and the prayer team to join me And the simple challenge for the week ahead and for even this very moment this morning is to start by committing one hour to silence and solitude with God. I wanna challenge you at some point this week to commit one hour of silence and solitude to God. Now, for those of you who've already blown me off and said, I'm an extrovert, I don't do those sorts of things, um, the scriptures were kind of written for all of us. So I just, without uh, any hesitancy and uh, with a little bit of anxiety, we enter into this together as a community. And I say, I challenge you this week to one hour of silence and solitude. And I might go so far as to say, for those of you who have been around the Bible a long time, it might not even be helpful for you to take your Bible. Oh my gosh, what has the pastor just said? Because here's the thing you've already decided what the Bible means for you. Now, you might not think that, um, but it's really true. <laughs> There's a confirmation bias about all things. If you're a guitar player or a worshiper, it's probably not gonna be helpful for you to have a guitar with you because you've already decided the songs you'd like to sing about God. And my challenge would be to simply arrive, maybe with an empty journal, and to simply be quiet for an hour with no phone, with no media, with no friend or spouse or pal, with no drive ahead of you, you on a bench in a park, silent. And see what begins to bubble up. See what the Lord begins to speak to your heart in that moment. Some of us can't even sit through a 30-minute talk without our minds racing or our mouths running. This would be such a gift to us to sit for an hour silent in solitude before the Lord and see what bubbles up, see what God might say. And the curiosity required in you and I to do that will lead us to the stillness that lands us at the top of the stairs in a place where we can say, the Lord is my refuge and my strength. I have no fear. So there's prayer team members around the room I wanna challenge you over the next couple of minutes as we worship to step out of your comfort zone, all of us who would be willing to do this and to go find somebody on the prayer team and simply start your prayer request with this. I'm committing to an hour of silence and solitude. God help me with fill in the blank. God help me with whatever it is you know you're gonna need from God. God help me to actually do it. (laughs) God, help me with my doubts. God, help me with my cynicism. God, help me with my, whatever. stand to your feet if you would and let's worship. And I challenge you to go to a prayer team member and engage in this way. Father in heaven, you are here and you are an ever present help in time of trouble. That is who you are. It's not reciprocated because of what we do, but it's entered in through the door of refuge. So help us to make you our refuge. El Elyon, the Most High God.